All right. Good morning. That was a bit of a dramatic run down the aisle, eh? I kind of wanted one of those paper things to burst through. No. Um, good morning. Um, my name is Kieran, as you would have heard. I'm an assistant pastor here at Coast. Um, and I like to start by embarrassing my parents every time they come here. So mum and dad are here at the back. Hi, mum and dad. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're awesome. Um, they hail from a land called Mount Roskill. Um, and um, that, they're, they're both primary school teachers. Well, dad's a um, principal of a school in South Auckland. And mum has done a bunch of stuff, including uh, ESOL, which is like English as a second language, and music teaching, and all sorts of leadership stuff. So that's awesome. And so, growing up, I kind of had this, like, little insight into the world of teaching. It was, it was awesome. We got school holidays off together to go and do fun stuff. But um, I got to learn, as a kid, uh, some of the lingo around teaching as well. So, I got to talk about, like, key competencies and scaffolding and pedagogy and RTLBs and munits. And I don't know what any of those mean, but um, I heard them, and I got to repeat them and. I don't know who I was trying to impress, really. It was probably, probably other teachers, which gives you an insight into what sort of kid I was. Um, <laughs> but I got this insight into the behind the scenes of teaching. And, and over the years, as um, things have changed in the world, I got to hear about how this whole teaching and education environment has just drastically changed. Um, there's different philosophies of teaching. There's different understandings of how people learn. Um, so that's all come a long way. And, and a lot of the change has been around technology, right? So all of these new things to, to play with, but also to learn with. Um, and so I, I went, went having a look for, a, for an article on this because I knew there must be some stuff out there because technology has massively changed over the last 50 years. And I found one that talked about some of the game-changing advances that happened each decade over the last 50 years. So we're going to start in the 1960s with the overhead projector. Hey, all right. Uh, found a nice pixelated photo of that one. Um, so, you know, this changed the game because you could have slides up. You could easily just change it with a vivid. <laughs> um, and probably changed a fair few classrooms, changed a fair few churches, if you were ever on slides on one of those. Okay, so then in the 1970s, you had something. I didn't know about this one, but there's this thing called microfilm. Um, so these are like rolls of little films so you could have libraries and banks of pictures stored up. Um, kind of like those little Viewmaster things, but bigger. Um, so that was a thing. And then Scantron, which I think we still use. Like you fill in with a pencil and a computer scans and sees whether you're smart or not. Um, so that was a new thing. Um, okay, then in the 1980s, there was the photocopier. Yeah, all right. That's a game changer. Um, and weirdly, doesn't look that different to photocopiers now. I'm like, why are we lagging? But anyway, okay, let's go to the 1990s. We had the introduction of graphic calculators. Yeah. So these are great for writing words upside down, uh, <laughs> um, making games, and they can also make graphs as well. So they're pretty cool. Uh, in the 2000s, that was the age of the computer, the personal computer. And, um, you know, the. In, in classrooms, they became a tool. A lot of time was wasted on YouTube. I confess that was part of my high school education. Um, and then in the 2010s, we've got the, the rise of the mobile device. You've got smartphones, you've got tablets, you've got laptops that come into the classroom. And that's part of the teaching experience now. So we've come a long way. <laughs> and you know, as much as this has changed the teaching environment, it's also changed the role of a teacher 
as well. Um, it's, it's hard to, to appear to be the source of all knowledge when kids can Google things <laughs> straight away and find out the real truth. Um, <laughs> so teachers 50 years ago, um, they're very different to the teachers that we, uh, the role of the teacher that we think of today. And, and that was 50 years ago. And, and we're going to make an even bigger jump to Jesus' time today. And they were even more different then. In the days when Jesus walked the earth. And we've been in this series uh, called Simply Jesus. And we're looking at the, the person of Jesus and these different aspects of his character, different ways that we can know who he is and know him more in our lives. And we've talked about the Jesus of history, um, Jesus our healer. And last week we heard about Jesus the revolutionary. And today we're going to look at Jesus as our teacher. Jesus our teacher. Because teaching was one of the main activities that Jesus did when he was here on earth. And if you have a look through the Gospels, you'll find him teaching in crowds. You'll see him teaching in the temple and synagogues. He teaches in homes. He teaches as he travels. Um, he even teaches from a boat, which is pretty gangster. Um, he teaches um, big groups. He teaches small groups. He teaches men. He teaches women. He, and he continues to teach today by his Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're going to look today at Jesus, our teacher. Um, and, you know, when people refer to Jesus as a teacher um, or as a rabbi or as a master, which were kind of used um, interchangeably, um, they meant something quite different to what we picture today. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. But um, before we jump into things, I just wanted to clarify something. Because when we start to talk about Jesus as a teacher, some people will be quick to say, well, you, do you mean that he is just a teacher? Like, is he just a good moral teacher, one of those noble characters from history um, who has some good ideas to share, and that's it? Um, well, the author and philosopher C.S. Lewis, yeah, I'm getting my C.S. Lewis quote in early, um, he had a pretty strong thing to say about this, um, a pretty strong response. This is what he said in his book, um, Mere Christianity. I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Um, so yeah, I think that was comedy back in the day. <laughs> um, but big calls, right? Either a lunatic who thinks he's a poached egg or the devil. Um, but the point here is that when we talk about Jesus as a teacher, he's more than a teacher. He's, he is fully God and he is fully human. And when we talk about Jesus, he's the one who died on a cross and rose again for us. And, and for those of us who have put our faith in him, we know him as our savior. Um, he's many things to us, and that's why we're taking this series to kind of go on a journey and look at these different aspects of who he is. But the truth is that Jesus was a teacher. He's more than that, but he's not less than that. And so we can't afford to lose this part of who Jesus is. If we want to know the real Jesus, if we want to live into the fullness of the life that he intends for us, then we need to know him as our teacher. We need to become his students, his followers. Okay, so I just want to pray, and then we'll, we'll continue. 
Jesus, I thank you for who you are. And as we've sung and we've spoken this morning, you're trustworthy. We can lean into you. We can build our lives on you. And it's the only place where true life is. God, thank you for making that available to us. And God, today through this message, through these words, would you uh, show yourself to us as the, the teacher who gives wisdom, the teacher who gives life, and the teacher who continues to live with us today. Thank you, God, that you're not far, but you're close. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this morning I just thought I'd cover all of Jesus' teachings and apply them to our lives today. Does that sound okay? <laughs> no, it's way too much ground for us to cover in one morning. That would take a lifetime. Um, and so what we're going to do, we're gonna, I'm just going to look at some key aspects of what it means to know Jesus as a teacher. And there's going to be stuff that we have to skip over and, and leave out. But one little glimpse at what it means to know him as a teacher. Okay, so I want to start with Jesus teaches to transform hearts. Jesus teaches to transform hearts. And when, so when we look at Jesus as a teacher, we need to know, we need to recognize that he wants more than just to enforce a rule book. He wants to transform hearts. We're going to start in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this is kind of his first big blocker teaching that we encounter in our scriptures. Um, this is Matthew chapters 5 to 7, if you've got your Bibles. And people talk about this blocker teaching as the greatest sermon ever preached. Because there's so much, the, the spectrum is so wide of the things that Jesus taught on. And it, it continues to challenge and to inspire today. So just as a little backdrop, um, a crowd of followers had formed and Jesus went to a mountainside, sat down and began to teach. And Jesus was bringing this message of God's kingdom this kingdom that had broken in, that had begun to be revealed, um, this upside-down kingdom where the humble are lifted up and the people who uh, appear to be powerful um, or who are self-righteous, they're found to be lacking. And Jesus is going on in this part that we're going to look at to teach about what it looks like to live in this kingdom. Um, another little important bit of background is that the religious experts of the day they were, they were obsessed with keeping the letter of the law. And when we talk about the law, we're really meaning the first five books of our Old Testament. Um, it had become their top priority to make sure that they were either keeping this law or seen to be keeping the law. Um, they were so preoccupied with keeping up this appearance that they became judgmental, hypocritical, and actually prevented people from coming to God. Um, does that sound familiar today as well? It's, um, that spirit is still alive. But in his teachings, Jesus wanted to move from the letter of the law to understanding the spirit of the law, um, to get to the heart of it, the intent. And anticipating that people would see this as kind of watering down God's word, this is what he says in verse 17. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What he means is that he's not saying, let's settle for less. <laughs> he's saying, let's expand this to more. Let's get to the core purpose of what the law was for. Um, so after this, he continues on and with a series of teachings that follow this pattern. And the pattern goes like this. You've heard it said, on one hand, but I tell you. Okay, so that's a pattern that we're going to see a few times. You've heard it said, but I tell you. So in verse 21, you've heard it 
you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So the behavior of murder actually started with a heart condition of anger. You, in verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, the behavior started from a heart condition. 38, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And Matt spoke about this a little bit last week, about how this, this old law that he's referring to, it was kind of a step in the right direction. But Jesus is carrying that further and saying, this, this requires a total heart change. And in 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, this is, this is so hard for me to, to skip over and not dive into each of those, because honestly, we could spend so much time on those. It's such deep and rich teaching. Um, but we don't have time to do that today. But what I wanted to point out is that Jesus takes the law, he raises the bar, because these are issues of the heart. Um, you know, I was, I'm not known for being tidy. It's, uh, this is a safe place to confess that. Um, and um, I feel bad for my parents um, because they, they're very tidy people and they, they really did try to teach me. Um, and to the point where we had um, these things called inspections when we were kids. And so, yeah, there was a checklist and you got kind of graded on different areas, just detailed. Um, sounds, sounds a bit like <laughs> prison. <laughs> but um, no, um, <laughs> but uh, no, it was, it was great. It was fine. Um, but... Through, through the inspections, and I think through my later years in life, flatting, um, I developed this philosophy, um, which was really helpful. And I wanted to share that with you today. This is how the philosophy goes. If you can't clean it, hide it. <laughs> so it's like, oh, no, there's some dishes in the sink. You don't have time to clean them. Chuck them in the cupboard. If you, oh, like there's clothes everywhere. Oh, there's a big container in the garage. Just chuck them, hide them away. And it's kind of the same. Um, it's obviously not the same, but um, I've changed now. <laughs> yeah, I'm older and wiser. Um, no, but this was an attitude in some way that was alive and kicking in Jesus' Jesus's time and, and in our time too. Um, that with the things that we don't want to deal with or the things that we want to appear as if we're doing the right things, we just hide away the yucky stuff. And Jesus wasn't interested in this approach of just like make it look good, but actually on the inside, it's still, it's still not right. Um, he's, he wants more because he's not just interested in behavior, he's interested in character. Um, so what this means for us, when we look to Jesus' teachings, if we're looking to him as a teacher, if we want to know him this way, then we have to be willing to have our hearts changed. Don't treat the symptoms, treat the cause. Is Jesus' approach. So, uh, practically, if you've had a falling out with a friend, um, instead of looking for justification, um, look, look for the places where your inner stance towards them could change. 
if you've got into a habit of looking at other people in a way that objectifies them or sexualizes them, um, which our, by the way, our mainstream culture hugely promotes, um, then bring that to God, willing to have your heart changed. Don't just settle for an outward change. If someone speaks badly of you behind your back, instead of holding on to that in your heart and, and speaking to other people about it in a way that stirs up more anger in your heart, look for ways to break the cycle of damage. And if you're struggling with an addiction that's holding you captive, um, get help with the inner causes as well as the outer. See, God cares deeply about the state of our hearts. And the behavior flows from that. It reflects what's inside. Whatever it is, the particular thing that we're dealing with or we're wanting to get teaching on, Jesus wants, to, to, Jesus wants us to live in a wholehearted way. It reflects his kingdom. It reflects our inner state. He's not interested in a, if you can't clean it, hide it approach. <laughs> he teaches for heart transformation. Okay, to flow on from that, Jesus also teaches us to love God authentically. See, when it comes to our relationship with God, Jesus had an even higher standard. Um, in the next chunk of teaching after those, um, you know, you've heard it said, but I tell you, in the next chunk, he speaks really clearly about not doing acts of worship or, or acts of love towards God in a way to impress other people. So just here's a few sound bites. Um, in chapter 6, verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. He goes on to say, don't, don't give to the needy to, to paint yourself in a way where you're celebrated as the hero. Do it in private, and God will see it and know that your heart's right. In verse 5, he says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. He says, don't pray these huge elaborate prayers just so you can be recognized. Do it in secret because it's between you and God. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. And obviously talking about a specific thing that was going on, but he's saying when you're fasting, don't make yourself look raggedy so others can see how much of a hero you are or how much of a sacrifice you're making. Do it for God. And I was thinking, what would our modern equivalents be? I mean, they all apply to those practices specifically, but... but Generally, it's just saying, don't get your relationship with God muddled with external appearances. This is really important for us when we gather in, in church kind of like this. Don't go after a microphone or a stage just to be recognized. Don't use, uh, or, or maybe for a modern equivalent, it would be like, don't use social media to affirm yourself, even if it's for something worthwhile. See, Jesus teaches us to love God authentically in our worship, in our prayer life, in our private life as well as our public life, and, and, our, and as a gathered family. When one of the, our religious experts, a Pharisee, he was grilling Jesus to test him, he, he actually asked him a, a question which was trying to, trying to trip him up, but he was saying, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself he says all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments and that that may be a really familiar passage to you um it's 
it's easy to just think of it in the bumper sticker format. <laughs> but in just a couple of sentences, Jesus highlights his priorities, that it's about a life transformed by love from the inside out, living wholeheartedly for God and with God. So when it comes to our relationship with God, Jesus teaches don't settle for outward appearances or just mindless rituals, you know, automatic behaviors or techniques. Um, this is something that we talk about a lot with our worship team. And the reason that we keep putting it in front and, and keep talking about it and emphasizing it is that there's so many potential traps with um, being on a stage. There's just something in, in us that is kind of like, likes the, the recognition. Um, there's this temptation to kind of be cool. <laughs> there's something about putting on a guitar that just makes you seem cool. <laughs> um, less so for other instruments, but definitely for guitar. Um, but, <laughs> but the thing is, when it comes to worship, we're not looking for rock stars or, or putting on a concert. And we're not looking for super righteous, perfect people either. Um, and I really, um, really want to honor and commend our worship team because they choose to serve. They, I know their hearts, and they don't come from this place of wanting to be recognized or, or feel cooler than you. I love that we kind of sit amongst our family because it is our family just serving. Um, and um, I just wanted to particularly honor um, Josh this morning who led us in worship today. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he's served um, amazingly over the last five-ish years. And, um, but a couple of weeks ago, um, he was on to lead worship. And um, we were doing a worship night as well. And um, I asked him if it's okay to share this, um, because Josh and Jamie that week had found out that they had miscarried uh, a baby. So um, in the journey that's been, I mean, it's just wrecks your heart. It, it really messes with you. And I think for our, our community, we're, we're, we've been feeling that and journeying that with you. I was talking to Josh. I said, hey, um, do you want to, are you okay to lead worship this week? Is that fine? And he said, you know what? I, amongst all of this, um, it doesn't diminish the pain, but I want to worship God. Because, because he knows that God has been faithful. I knew I was going to do this. I'm sorry. I was getting emotional even writing it down. But I just wanted to honor Ebra um, because it speaks of a genuine heart of love inspired by God. And you can't turn that on in the hard times when it comes, um, but it's from the faithfulness for years. Um, so Josh has modeled that for us of stepping into worship. And, uh, in a time when he could have said no. Um, and to me, that's, that's way more impressive than playing the right chords you know? um, or getting through a set without breaking a string. <laughs> and um, um, so I want to thank you as well. Um, thank you for leading us that way. And I know it's, it's ironic to um, publicly honor him <laughs> when we're talking about not seeking that out. But the point is that he hasn't sought that out. Um, so, um, where is your heart with God today? Are you willing to bring your whole self to Him, even when those hard times come? 
Is it easier to raise hands and worship here on a Sunday morning than during the week? And why? Are you holding something back from him? Or do you find yourself craving recognition in some way or notoriety? Does your private world match your public life with him? These are just questions. I'm not accusing you. (laughs) Things to think about. But Jesus teaches us to love God authentically. Okay, let's keep going. Jesus teaches wisdom for living. And, you know, when we talk about wisdom, we talk about it as the the skill of living well. Skill at living. And um, as I was looking in the teaching environment, uh, looking into the teaching environment today, I found another article, and it talked about some different ways that things have changed recently in the last five, ten years. And this is one of the comments that they had at the bottom of a list, and I thought it was quite insightful. It said, information is everywhere, but wisdom is scarce. And that was just on a, on a scholarly article about what they're observing in the teaching environment today. Information is everywhere, but wisdom is scarce. Um, this is what Dallas Willard had to say in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. Jesus is not just nice. He is brilliant. He is the smartest man who's ever lived. He is now supervising the entire course of human history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. He always has the best information on everything and certainly on the things that matter most in the human life. And it's easy to overlook this part of who Jesus is. But one of the things that distinguishes his teaching from any other teaching is that it's wise. He knows how we were made. He knows the way to true flourishing. And again, we're not going to have time this morning to go through all the wisdom that Jesus ever shared. (laughs) But um, we find a little sample in the Sermon on the Mount. So if we continue um, into chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, material possessions aren't just an end in themselves, but they can steal our heart away from the things that really matter. Verse 25. Um, one second, I'm just going to blow my nose. I'm just conscious of the people listening on the website. They don't want to hear my, like, snotty sniffle. You're welcome. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? We can waste time and energy worrying when there is freedom in trusting God and learning to trust God. Man, there's so much we could say. Um, Just, we're skimming over the top here because we have to. uh, Chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus is wise. Jesus' wisdom is, it gives us the ability to live well, to live in a way that aligns with his kingdom. And when I was thinking about this, these little bits of wisdom that he drops in, we learn by correction. It's kind of like little course corrections. He's saying, don't do this do that. Just kind of like, kind of like balancing on a tightrope. 
Or, or more like, you know, the, on the motorway, there's those rumble strips along the side? It's like warning you, like, outside of this path, there's death and bad things. But if you stay within this, <laughs> it's going to be, you're going to get to where you want to go. And that's what his wisdom is like. It kind of keeps us in the place where there is life. Um, you know, little adjustments, little course corrections are way healthier than trying to salvage something way down the track. Um, and I've learned this in my finances. <laughs> I went on a trip to the USA once, and I decided, I did a kind of budget beforehand, but I decided that um, it would kind of take care of itself as I went spending, and I didn't really check it against the budget. Oh my goodness, I came back and looked at the bill. I was like, I think I'm still paying that off. And that was a few years ago. And it was because I hadn't bothered to look at where I was tracking and make little corrections. And Jesus gives us this wisdom so that we don't have to climb out a big debt. It's so that it, he can save us the hassle of that by making small adjustments to align with his way of life. See, lots of people pray for wisdom when they're at a crossroads, you know, when they've got a decision to make or some problem to solve. And, and that's, a, that's a great thing to do. That's really worthwhile. We want to pray for that continually. But God wants to give us wisdom for living every day. Don't wait until the crisis point to seek out his wisdom. You know, that prayer of God, give me wisdom, it's usually answered one way or another. And Jesus wants to build this into our character. And we can do this just by putting his wisdom into practice. You know, often when people heard Jesus' teaching, um, we read that their reaction was they were amazed or they were astonished. And in fact, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, it says, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. And elsewhere, when a crowd asked him how he got his knowledge, he answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And he's saying, try me. <laughs> You'll see for yourself. If Jesus is wise, if he has authority, and if his teaching comes from God who sent him, are you willing to spend time getting to know it? Are you willing to put it into practice? See, because it's much easier to talk about, um, to debate about it, to, to chat in a small group about it, even to, to pray about it. It's easier to do all of those things than to put it into practice. And yet that's where we're told the life is. So, wisdom's not something you stockpile, you just learn, read this passage once, and then you're done. You navigate with it, day by day. Jesus is our wisdom. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, we'll keep moving, because Jesus teaches by example. And you know, I was looking up the definition of what it even is to teach. Um, it was that point of sermon prep where it's like, what even is teaching? And um, so one definition, which we've kind of camped out in for most of today, uh, one definition is to impart knowledge to or instruct someone as to how to do something. But a second part of that definition is to cause someone to learn or understand something by example or by experience. So by doing it, you learn. And this is kind of the apprenticeship model, right? You learn by doing. And you have to allow me a little quick aside here for my language gripe of the week. Um, <laughs> because there's this phrase that people use um, that uh, things are caught, not taught, right? Have you heard that before? Yeah, so like sometimes people say faith is caught, not taught. Um, and looking at this definition, 
catching is a way of teaching. <laughs> so taught is not just the words. It's like that proximity, that following an example, that's a way of teaching. So I don't want to ruin the phrase. You can use it. I know what it means. Um, but <laughs> and I, I, I think there's studies that show that people are more likely to believe something that rhymes. Um, um, <laughs> there's, there's even a name for this phenomenon. It's called rhyme as reason. Um, so I've given you some alternatives that I just want to put, present to you. So there's training without explaining. Not taught by thought. Um, or my favorite, education by demonstration, observation, and emulation. <laughs> there you go. So you're looking for an alternative to caught, not taught. So <laughs> point being, Jesus teaches, he just doesn't just teach by words. He, he teaches by example. And so... The title that we talked about before, rabbi um, and teacher, they were kind of used interchangeably. And, and rabbis back in that day, they were a little bit different to what we might think of today with particular religious roles. Um, a rabbi was a teacher that would move from place to place, teaching as they go. And um, with them, they would take some understudies or disciples or followers who literally would follow them and do the things they did, see every aspect of the rabbi's life. It was a very intimate relationship. They saw the, yeah, the whole spectrum of the rabbi's life. It was an honored position. And so being a disciple was also an honored position. Every part of their life was shared. And so when, when Jesus gives the invitation to come follow me to his disciples, it wasn't just to get directions. It was an invitation to become a follower, to have that close relationship of learning to go where he went, to, to learn on the fly, to, to see this being lived out, to become an apprentice. And Jesus spoke about this, this way of teaching, this way of knowing him directly in his final meal with the disciples before he was crucified. The meal was underway, and uh, Jesus gets up, he grabs a towel and a bowl of water and starts washing the disciples' feet. And this would have been a bizarre experience for the disciples because this was a job usually reserved for a servant because it was a mucky job. It was, the feet would have been filthy from the dirty streets. So this is what, where we pick up in John chapter 13, 12 to 15. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, there's multiple layers to this story, um, and there's different things going on. Um, it's an amazing story. You should dig into it more deeply. But Jesus has set here an example of serving one another in humility. And if Jesus is our teacher, we must follow his example of loving, serving, and humility. And <coughs> the key part here I want to focus on is that Jesus makes this connection between his role as a teacher and Lord and copying his example. So for us, that means that we don't just hear his words. We don't just, like, memorize them and that's the end of it. We, we put them into practice. We look at his example, the way he lived, and we choose to live the same way. And he even said that anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And, and that ex includes the example of his life. Right. 
need to come into land. So I just want to say on that, that in everything, in every aspect of our life, Jesus is our example of what it looks like to live well. We're called to imitate him. And, you know, this carries extra weight in light of the sacrifice he made for us on the cross, that he laid down his life in love, sacrificial love. So we're to imitate him in serving others and loving others and forgiving and providing compassion and even suffering. We're to, to emulate him in healing and giving words of prophecy and delivering people from demons. Jesus modeled that for us. So Jesus teaches us by example. And here's, what I, here's where I want to come into land today, that, that Jesus teaches us today. And with all of the headings that I've put up there, um, I've deliberately not used the past tense because I know that Jesus continues to teach us. He continues to inspire. He continues to prompt and challenge us. We're not just talking about static words on a page or a historical event. See, Jesus has given us his spirit. And this is what it says in John 14, 25 to 27. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you and all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He sent his Spirit to be with us, to live in us, to empower us, to teach us. And I've grabbed a bunch of different verses today. Um, and I just want to highlight to you that we, we don't read Scripture just in order to, to know Scripture better. We read Scripture so that we may know Jesus better, so that we may know our God who loves us. You know, knowing someone is different to knowing about them. But here's the truth I want to land on, that He gives us His Spirit to, to live in us, to teach us. He makes His Spirit freely available to us, and He wants to come and make a home in our hearts for us who choose to put our faith in Him. We're going um, to finish with some time to pray, and um, I just want to put some questions out to you today, because do you, do you want to know Jesus as your teacher today? Do you want Him to transform your heart? Do you, do you want to learn how to love God authentically? Do you want God's wisdom to live by day by day? Do you want to follow in Jesus' footsteps? Because he will give you his spirit to teach you and to make that possible. And I just want to say that there's nothing more powerful than this, than the, the living God who knows us intimately, who knows the whole of creation, living in you and living with you. There's nothing more powerful.